All right, we're going to spend some time studying the Bible together now. We make this the center of our worship every week. We study the Bible. We listen to the Scriptures because we believe that Jesus speaks to us through the Scriptures. He speaks to us uh, with his present authority, his present relevance for our life. And so we want to hear what he has to say. We want to place ourselves uh, in a posture of learning before him. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians. We're going to continue our series in Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 today. And we have called this series, Risk Everything, Risk Everything. Uh, and then before we get into the text, I just, I meant, I just saw my notes. I have a couple of things to announce. Um, this summer, some things are changing, right? Uh, things always change for us in the summer, but it's a, a little more confusing right now because we're kind of winding down pandemic stuff as we also head into our normal summer transitions. Um, so just to be looking forward, we'll be sending out an email with more details about this and announcing more details next week. Uh, but we're going to be winding down more of our COVID protocols starting in June, so a month away, um, as we've seen the numbers continue to drop in the area and seen our governor continue to open things up. So we're looking forward to that. Um, we're also going to be ending our evening service, which if you're here, you're probably not an evening service person, so you probably don't care. Um, we're also going to be transitioning a few weeks with no elementary ministry in June. We'll give you those dates as well. And the thing you've heard the most about is impact. This is our community outreach where the teenagers share the gospel in public parks and in backyards with elementary students. And so we're going to be gearing up for that all at the same time. So a lot of things happening. Um, so we just ask you to pray for us in all those transitions, but also seek ways to step in and serve. Uh, as June is a strange time for our church here in Colleen by Fort Hood, uh, we often have new visitors coming in, but we also have a lot of people moving away, so there's just extra traffic in June. So pray that you would be available um, and that the Lord would continue to make himself known to the folks that he brings to us here and to you that are already here. Help us to grow in him. So back to Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 today. So the series is Risk Everything. The series is this idea um, that in a time of great uh, commotion in our culture, a time of fear, that there's this temptation we have to kind of guard our lives, right? There's a temptation we have to turn inward and protect ourselves and protect uh, the things that we find valuable. And yet in Philippians, we're called to look at Jesus and see how Jesus uh, let go of his perfect comfort with God in heaven, and he came after us. He lived for us. He died for us. And so when we look at what Jesus did for us, that allows us to loosen up our grip on all the things that might normally give us peace and security in this world and say, you know what? Jesus is my ultimate peace and security. So we're calling that risk everything. We're not calling you or ourselves to live in an unwise way, to not be stupid with the resources he's given us. What we're calling all of us to do is to run after Jesus. And so that's the big idea this week, is run after Jesus. This week, we see this idea, pulling off of the context from last week, that if you know that Christ and Christ alone is your only source of joy, as Christians who believe that and believe passionately that once we've trusted Jesus, nothing can snatch us out of his hand, right? Once we believe that settled security that we have in Christ... There's a temptation to think, I've arrived. I can just sit back and coast and not do anything. But here Paul says, no, there's a paradox at play. The more secure you are in Jesus, the more you're actually going to run after Jesus. The more you're going to pursue union with him. The more you see how he's taken hold of you, the more you will stretch out to take hold of him and try to grow closer 
to Christ. So the big idea is that we would run after Jesus, that we would passionately pursue him. wanted to give you a picture of this from my own background. I like to share sports analogies, and I have to say this clearly. I was never great at sports. I just spent hours and hours playing sports, okay? Um, and so this was a race I was about to run towards the end of my junior year in high school. I was 17 years old, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I had never won first place in anything. I'd never won a first place trophy. I never won a first place ribbon. I'd never won, by any means, a gold medal. Uh, not in a science project, not at a track meet, not you know, in a football championship or soccer, anything like that I'd been involved in. I'd never won first place, not even at a church picnic. And so here I am, 17 years old, I'm, I'm lining up in the starting blocks about to run the 110 high hurdles. So that's 110 meters, 10 hurdles, high hurdles. They felt like they were up here, but I think they were just like this high. And so I'm about to run the hurdle race. And this was actually my best chance to win of all the chances I'd ever had. That year, my junior year, I'd consistently been winning fourth place. And you get ribbons for that. So that was pretty exciting. I got some ribbons, right? The week before this final meet of my junior year, this was the district track meet, I actually won second place. So I was super excited. I was like, man, I can, I can smell victory, right? <laughs> like I can see it. I might actually win first place. So I'm so excited. And as I'm in the starting blocks, you can't really see the, the finish line. You can't really see the tape because the hurdles are in the way. But I'm, I'm visualizing the goal, right? And when the gun goes off, I, I take off. I'm, and I run hard. I'm going over the hurdles. And you might think, I cleared that first hurdle perfectly. You might think I just stopped and said, hey, I did it. I, cl- I cleared the first hurdle, right? But no, that's stupid. I, I kept running, right? I didn't consider it complete until I'd run the entire way, ran as hard as I could, gave it, gave it my best effort. I'd spent years and years practicing for this day. I recklessly pursued that goal. Finally came to the end. You've seen this on TV, you know, stretched out. This is the kind of language that Paul uses in the text, stretched out to cross the finish line. And it was a great race. It was a great pursuit. Paul gives us the same kind of language in our text. He, he paints this picture here of what it looks like to, to run as hard as you can. And so, again, here's, the, here's the, the weird paradox of the spiritual life. It's like in Christ, we're absolutely secure, and we know we've already won the race. We know we're already there, but he calls us to run. He calls us to passion. Paul uses really strong language in this text, and it's language that can used, be used either in the hunting world or in the athletic world. It's this idea of like grabbing hold of things. It's like hunting language, pursuit language. These Greek words are lambano and diokeo, which are just like a hunting dog or a warrior or an athlete. And Paul is saying, this is how we should live the Christian life. We should run after Jesus. We should have a passion to pursue him. So let me, let me read the text and hear it straight from Paul's mouth here in the scripture. So it's verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is the goal. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Do you see the tension there? Even that final sentence, only let us hold true to what we've already attained. He's like, live up to what you've already been given in Christ. What does that look like? That looks like running hard after Jesus. That looks like pursuing him passionately, considering that you haven't really arrived yet. He uses this play on words. Those of us that are mature, another way of saying this, those of us that have arrived will consider that we haven't arrived yet. This is the tension of the Christian life. Jesus has taken hold of me, so what am I going to do? I'm going to run after Jesus. I'm going to pursue Jesus with everything I've got. Let me pray for us, and we'll ask the Lord to help us with this, because this is the tension. This is hard to understand. I believe His Spirit can reveal this to us. God, we pray for Your Spirit to join us here, to uh, unlock Your Word and help us to understand what You're saying. God, we see that we should both have a confidence that you've taken hold of us, but we should also have a passion to pursue you. And in our world and in our minds, that doesn't always go together, but it does for you. And so we pray that you would teach us what this looks like, help us to hear you, help us to pursue you, help us to see that you have pursued us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this race, as I said, this is race language and hunting language, right? Um, so you could, you could imagine, like, I've got a, a bird dog that loves to, to, you know, grab birds. Dog's getting a little older, so she doesn't catch birds as often in her backyard, but she still catches them sometimes. And just to see her, you know, pursue a bird, that's what I'm envisioning, right? Or running in a track meet, just running as hard as you can, right? It's this kind of language is what Paul is using here in the text. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of set it up in order. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the verses out of order, but I'm going to show it in kind of running order in a sense, right? So the outline for the text today is this is what it looks like to run after Jesus. It looks like forgetting the past, right? Forgetting the past. You're not looking at the past anymore. And then it looks like admitting we're incomplete, like we're not done yet. Admit we're incomplete. And then stretching forward to the finish line, okay? You see that's kind of a progression, logical progression, makes sense. I'm going to kind of take the verses a little bit out of order. I don't think it'll be too confusing because we don't have very many verses today. So forget the past, admit we're incomplete, and then strain forward to the future. So the first one is forget the past. I get this primarily out of verse 13. We see in verse 13 that he forgets what is behind. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Okay? So before he was talking about finding joy in Christ and Christ alone. That's what we looked at last week. Jesus is our only hope. We can't find joy in all these other things we're tempted to find joy in. Last week, we called them joy killers. And he's like, we've, we've found joy in Christ, in Christ alone. But he's like, but I haven't like made it my own, right? I, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You have to purpose to forget the past. You've got to let go of that and look forward. You've got to look forward to what Jesus has for you. And so one question is, do we forget every single thing that ever happened, right? Is this like, like Dory, you know, and Finding Nemo, and we can't remember anything? Is that, is that what he's saying? No, he doesn't, he doesn't mean it in that sense. He means we're no longer dwelling, we're no longer focusing on the past. Remembering biblically is a, is a conscious effort. We, in our world, we're very... Gnostic and information-oriented. Our culture has gotten strange in the sense that we kind of separate information from our bodies and our experiences. This is not how the biblical worldview thinks about things. In the biblical worldview, what you think and what you do are united. 
both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But for us, we often kind of separate them, right? So we think about it as just like ideas. No, it's like stop dwelling and focusing and spending your energy on the past and turn towards the future and what Christ has for you. This is a a spiritual discipline, Uh, taking our eyes off of our shame, taking our eyes off of our mistakes, the things we've done wrong, letting go of those and entrusting those to Jesus. It's an important part of recovery in any area of life that you're struggling. Letting go of those things where you've blown it and saying, I trust Jesus with this. I've talked many times in our sermons about how we often think about pride as thinking we're great, which is one form of pride, but another form of pride is thinking, I'm so bad, God cannot forgive me. That is pride. That is pride. It's just sneaky pride, right? (laughs) You're just tricking yourself. But when you think that Jesus can't handle your past, that's a form of pride saying, I'm too big for Jesus to handle. You've got to forget what's behind you. You've got to let go of that. I grabbed a picture of a, of a rear view mirror. I guess this is technically a side mirror. It says objects in mirror are closer than they appear. That's kind of the tension we live with, right? <laughs> we want to let go of it. Anybody see Jurassic Park, the old original classic from like 50 years ago? Um, one of the best scenes is, is the dinosaur chasing them, right? I couldn't get a good picture of that. But there's this dinosaur in the rearview mirror and it says, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear, right? Um, that's how it feels, right? When you've got shame from your past, even from your childhood, even middle-aged people like me, I still have voices and memories from bad things I did and bad things that were done to me from my childhood. And I have to actively let go of those and say, they're, they're not as close as they feel or as they, theme, as they seem. You've got to actively let go of those and say, I, I trust you, Jesus, with that past. I'm not going to dwell on that, but I'm going to look forward to what you want to do. That was a funny story I heard years ago about someone that was riding taxis in Rome. Years ago, when it was even more crazy than it is now, I, I got to go on a trip to Rome a few years ago, and Rome's pretty insane. But this story was from 20 years before that. And he said he rode in a taxi, and it was terrifying. He thought he was like in a, you know, like a crash derby kind of situation or a race car race. And he was just kind of scared the whole time. He said he noticed there were no mirrors on the taxi. <laughs> he was like, what is that about? He finally asked the driver about that. Uh, and the driver said, mister, if you're going to drive in the city, the first thing you got to learn is this. What's behind you is not important. And so... That may make for reckless taxi driving, right? But I think it's actually a good way to live the spiritual life, to stop looking at what's behind us. So, so again, just to be clear, use your rearview mirrors when you're driving, okay? But don't worry about it so much in your spiritual life. We've got to let go of those things. And again, extremes can be like, oh, we don't learn anything. No, we learn from our mistakes, but we learn our lesson. Say, all right, this is a lesson, Jesus I'm going to do this differently next time. I'm giving it to you. I trust you to forgive me. The gospel is that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed on the cross with Christ. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus took our sins. It's not like he just took our little sins, but the big sins we've got got to figure out. No, he took all of our sins. What Jesus did on the cross for us is enough. And when you don't believe that it is, we're, we're trampling the blood of the Son of God. We're devaluing what Jesus did for us. We've got to give that to him. And this is a process. Again, this is not to heap more shame on you, right? Like if you, 
if you struggle with past shame, me saying let go of it is not to give you more shame. This is me saying, no, Jesus can handle it. Jesus can handle it. Give it to him. He will take it. Um, we've got to forget what's behind if, if we're going to move forward and run this race and pursue Jesus. Um, so here's some things this could look like. Uh, we've wasted our time in the past, right? We've spent our time on stupid things. So what does it look like to forget what's behind? Well, it's to, to stop wasting our time, maybe to spend more time on spiritual things. Maybe it's to spend more time praying and studying the Bible. So we forget what's behind. We let go of the way we used to spend our time. We don't continue to feel shame about it. We don't continue to say, man, I blew it. Man, just think if I had read my Bible last year. Think of how great life would be. No, just let go of it, right? You let go of these other things so that you can do the next thing. We forget the distractions of uh, maybe watching shows or reading other things. We spend time praying. We spend time reading the Bible. I think sometimes as we're trying to run after Jesus in the area of our family life, we can feel a lot of guilt. Man, when I, my kids started graduating from high school, I felt an overwhelming guilt. And I think I've shared this before. If you, if you really were to like sit down and talk with me about it rationally, I would say, I, I was a decent dad. You know, I was a pretty good dad. But I just, I wanted to do more. You know, I came from a broken family and, and wanted to do more. And I just felt like, but it wasn't perfect. You know, and I had to, had to actively let go of that and, and give that to Jesus and say, okay, what what do I do now, right? I don't parent my kids as adults in the same way I used to. What does it mean to be a, a coach, a mentor, a friend now to adult children? I had to let go of that uh, frustration that it wasn't perfect. Those of you that have performed in any area, you know what this is like to be so focused on your mistakes you can't move forward. Have you ever felt that before? Um, as a public speaker, that's every week, right? I just have to actively give every little miss, missed word back to Jesus after preaching a sermon, right? It just, it's like overwhelming. I have to actively say, Jesus, I give that back to you, and I'm going to move forward and pursue you the next day. Um, what about the failures uh, in your own life? Well, I think you'd be really happy, uh, or it can really be really helpful to talk through that with a friend, right? Because a lot of times what happens is we get stuck in a circular loop with the failures in our past, um, significant moral failures, significant addictive problems, significant issues. We have a ministry that helps with hurts, habits, and hang-ups called Celebrate Recovery that will help you walk through that. Um, We also just talk about small groups where you meet with other Christians, you look at Scripture, you confess your sins, you pray for one another. These are basic steps, and it's really helpful to do that in community. Just saying it out loud, laying it on the table is a helpful part of the process of, of letting go of it, right? When you just keep it in your brain, it can be stuck in this shame circle where you just kind of keep reviewing it and keep reviewing it and keep reviewing it. It's really important to to journal or to confess these things out loud to friends, but to actively, in some way, physically get rid of it in that sense, right? Like, speak it out loud. Okay, I need to to not dwell on this anymore. This is a thing. Man, I feel shame. Will you pray for me? Asking a friend. Okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to trust Jesus with that now so that you can move on actively to the next thing. Well, this takes us to the next point. We must admit that we're incomplete. Before we can move beyond just coasting and being passive into a real active pursuit of Jesus, we have to admit that we're incomplete. And I'm jumping around with this. This is kind of one of the major themes of this whole section. This is kind of an underlying irony of this idea of those of us who are complete recognize we're not complete, right? And he bounces around with different English words. You can't always see it in the English translations, 
Um, so verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now that word mature is a Greek word teleos. So uh, we have telescope is where you would hear that in English. Uh, teleos is a really common word in Greek. Teleos, telos, different forms of it in Greek. And this T-E-L kind of little piece of word in Greek means the end. The, the end that something is made for. Uh, the status of completion. It's often translated though in English as perfect. And so that can throw us off, right? Again, in kind of our Gnostic information world, we think of perfect as a 100 grade on a test, right? No mistake. And that, that is a kind of perfect. But really, telos, teleos, uh, this, this word that can be translated as complete, it's more like complete or finish line or kind of what something is made for, the end that it's created for. So here he's saying, let those of us who are mature think this way. Another way I could translate that. Those of us who are complete Think this way. Think what way? That we're incomplete. Do you see that? Do you see the the tension? Uh, Verse 12, he says it this way. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. That's the same word. Telos, teleos, complete, perfect. So verse 12, he says, I'm not already perfect. And then in verse 15, those of us who are perfect should think this way. What way? That we're not perfect. Do Do you get the tension there? That's, again, a paradox of the Christian life. Those of us that know Jesus and are resting in what Jesus has done for us are saying, man, what does it mean to really arrive in the spiritual life? It means recognizing I haven't really arrived. (laughs) Do you see that? you got to admit that you're incomplete. This is an ongoing discipline for Christians. And this can be confusing for Christians, right? Because here we're taught this is a really important truth. If you've entrusted your life to Jesus, you are secure, John 10, 29, nothing can snatch you out of your Father's hands. If you've entrusted him to forgive your sins, your sins are forgiven. You're finished, right? It's done. It is finished that Christ says on the cross. It's another form of this word. It's complete. Payment in full. Jesus has paid for your sins. And so that's a very important part of understanding who Jesus is. And then Jesus says, now I want you to follow me every day. And so every day we get up and we recognize, man, I, I might have sinned today or I might have not trusted you in new ways today. And I'm going to confess that to you, Jesus. Recognize I'm not complete. I'm not in heaven with you face to face. I haven't made it there yet. Am I secure as a member of your family? Yes. Am I forgiven and nothing can snatch me out of your hand? Yes. But am I everything that you've made me to be? No. I'm not complete. I have not arrived. Again, the tension of the Christian life. So we recognize we're not complete we continue to strain and to strive forward. Verse 10 and 11 from last week, we look back at that again. This is this language where Paul was talking about this life of knowing Jesus through the resurrection, through our sufferings. Verse 10, it says, that I may know him. Uh, NIV said that I want to know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what he's talking about. I want to know the resurrection of the dead. We've talked about this tension. How do we ultimately know the resurrection from the dead? Well, it's when we die and we're resurrected, (laughs) right? That's when we fully know it. That's the vision of Romans 8. That's the beauty of the end of Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, where he's given this vision of the end of everything, where, where God's going to wrap up history and we're going to be with him. We're going to know him fully 
as we are fully known, right, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll know Jesus face to face. We'll have perfect intimacy with him, and we'll have no more sickness or pain. This is why Christians can pray for healing and always know that our prayers will be answered. We just don't know if it's going to be answered this week or this month. But our prayers for healing will always be answered because we're all headed in Christ to complete healing. That's what the new heavens and the new earth is. And so that's the ultimate knowledge of the resurrection. But then Paul pulls that into now and says, as you and I suffer for others to serve them in Christ's name and to tell them about Jesus, as we suffer, that's the resurrection power of Jesus coursing through our lives. So we can now know some of that resurrection power today. So Paul has to clarify, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not all the way there yet, right? Like we're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. But as we obey Jesus, his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. As we suffer for Jesus and with Jesus, his resurrection power is coming here today through your life. He's using you. He's really genuinely working through your life. It is real. It is happening now. Paul just says, just to be clear, it's not complete. <laughs> just to be clear, we haven't arrived. I'm still incomplete. Paul, super apostle, this guy we all look forward, uh, look up to, right? This is a great example of Jesus. He's like, but I'm incomplete. You're incomplete. I'm incomplete. We're all incomplete. We have not already arrived. We still look forward to making it there. I grabbed a picture of babies and we often think a lot in the Christian life about the mature and the immature. You know, we have different levels. Uh, as we church leaders are trying to move people through discipleship, you know, we kind of move people through, do you know Jesus, helping people trust him, then helping people grow up and mature in doing things, practices like beginning to pray and read the Bible, and then people begin to serve others. These are the kinds of things we talk about every week, right? But in this language of maturity and helping you grow as a disciple, that can imply that we're kind of like making it to the goal line after a few years. And this is Paul, this super incredible apostle, leader, follower of Jesus, like, yeah, we, we haven't really arrived, right? Those of us that are mature in the Christian life know that these babies, this, this is who we really are, right? We're still babies at the feet of Jesus. We're still little. Uh, this preacher named Leonard Ravenhill had told an old story about... Um, doing a tour of some city, and somebody asked the tour guide uh, about um, the city. I think they had gone by uh, a cemetery, and, you know, they're asking questions about what the city was like and what this village was like, and here's the question that one of the tourists asked. Were any great men born in this village? Were any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. Only babies. You get it? It's a joke. Only babies are born in this village. Well, that's, that's who we are. We're, we're all babies. We're babies in Christ. I shared this image for you a while ago from the book Gentle and Lowly. We, we never grow out, being, grow out of being a child of God. Like, we're always a toddler pulling on the pant leg of our Heavenly Father. He delights to grab us and pick us up in His arms. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 uh, makes it clear there are only two kinds of people in this world, right? There are people that deny their incompleteness, and there are people that confess it and admit it and ask Jesus to fill those gaps. It says it this way, if we claim to be without sin, and sin, that word literally means to miss the mark, right? It's a, 
It's a visual kind of word that's saying we don't measure up to the perfect glory of God. Compared to him, we're imperfect, we're immature, we're incomplete. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, agree with God, say it out loud, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is just another discipline of the Christian life. Confessing. I'm incomplete. Jesus, I need you. Help me. Help me to grow. So what are next steps for you in your incompleteness? In what ways does Jesus want to stretch you and grow you and pull you forward towards maturity? And here's some examples I've seen people dealing with in our community, dealing with your anger or addiction issues through Celebrate Recovery, through small group, through an accountability group with a friend, talking to a biblical counselor. What if you said it out loud, admitted it? This is an issue. I need to deal with it. This is what this looks like in real life. Serving on a ministry team. As I said, we're going to lose a lot of people in the summer. We're going to gain a lot of people. The pandemic, I think we're going to gain even more people because kind of pandemic's winding down. We have new people coming every week. And so we need, we need people to serve. But here's the thing. We don't just need people to serve so that we can accomplish our agenda, which we want to accomplish. Just, just so I'm clear, I want to accomplish my agenda as a leader. But, but you need to serve, right? That's something you need as a follower of Jesus. You and I are incomplete when we're not serving others. It helps us to mature. It helps us to become more complete when we see the work that Jesus has for us in front of us. So we can see that organically in our life around us. We can also see that corporately as we join together as a church and serve on ministry teams. Uh, Learning to study the Bible. Some of you maybe have just never taken that step. You've never really learned. You're not real comfortable with it. That's okay. Like That's why we're here. We want to help you to learn these things. You can get involved in the women's ministry or in another small group and, and begin to practice studying the Bible with others, begin to understand how to read it for yourself, um, beginning to read the Bible and pray with your kids, with your spouse, begin to make it a part of your daily life. These are ways that we can say, I'm incomplete, I want to grow in this area, ask for help. Christianity 101 is saying, yeah, I don't have it all figured out, I need someone to help me. We would love to help you with that, that's, that's why we're here. All right, the final point is that we would strain forward. Strain forward. This is in verse 13. Uh, this Greek word is a pectenomai. It's uh, just visually straining, stretching, right? So uh, in running, we always have these images, the photo finish of like a runner kind of stretching out his chest uh, to, to go past the tape of the finish line. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen these races. Sometimes there are these dramatic races where it's like a, a really long, grueling like marathon or something, and someone will actually just like throw themselves across the finish line. Have you all ever seen that before? It's insane. Um, if I ever run more than two miles, I can't throw myself anywhere. Uh, I, got, I grabbed a picture of in football. You see this image a lot in football with the, you know, the runner stretching the ball over the goal line, right? He's, he's going down. He, he's getting smashed, and yet he, he still extends it, stretching out towards the goal. This is the kind of language that Paul is using here. So again, in verse 13, I don't consider that I've made it my own. So I, I don't consider that I've grabbed hold of this goal, this prize. I haven't crossed the finish line yet. I'm not with Jesus face to face in that sense, new heavens, new earth, yet I'm stretching out. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's the goal? What's the prize? 
We've been using this visual imagery, right? A bird dog, trying to get the bird, right? That would be the prize. Uh, The runner, trying to get the gold medal, trying to cross the tape and win and beat other people. That's the goal here. Paul's saying this goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call, God calling us up into his presence. So again, we see this tension of the prize and the goal that we're stretching out towards is the finish line of union with Christ face-to-face, which we have the down payment of now, as the language of Scripture uses. As we believe in Jesus, we're given the Spirit. And the Spirit is what cries out in your heart, Abba, Father. The Spirit is what helps you to know that Jesus is with you now, even as you stretch out to be with him more. Do you see that tension? So we're stretching towards that goal that he's already called us into his presence, into his family. He's forgiven us. He's made us his own, and yet we're stretching to be closer to him, to get to know him, to love him more. One of my favorite passages that has an image like this of of straining, right, is in Matthew 13. It has the picture of the treasure in the field, and we can relate to this because we live in kind of a rich country, even with the bad economy. We still live in kind of a rich country. And so the treasure in the field parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 13 is saying, This guy finds a treasure, and the treasure is so valuable, he gives up everything else he has, right? It's been kind of part of the theme of Philippians, this risking everything, this just running after Jesus, letting go of the things that you used to value and saying, that's more valuable. I want that. And that is, Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom, right? That's that's being with Jesus, being a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. So we strain and we stretch, we treasure Jesus, we treasure Jesus his kingdom more than anything else. And that's what Jesus is calling us towards. Straining towards Christ implies being uncomfortable for him, right? It, it's not normal. Uh, the other day I had to run in the store. I was, I was running behind. I was going to pick something up for my wife. I was like, oh no, I'm like 10 minutes late. So got out of my car and I literally ran across the parking lot. And I'm getting to the age where I just don't run as much anymore. And I kept thinking, of the parable of the prodigal son. Have you all ever heard the parable of the prodigal son taught? And it talks about the father running to greet his son. And every good Bible teacher is like, you know, Middle Eastern men would not do that kind of thing. That's very undignified. And that's what I kept thinking of as I'm running across the parking lot. Because I'm like, man, I'm old and this hurts, right? (laughs) Like, I don't don't like this. I don't like this anymore. It's painful to run. And I'm like, what are people going to think about me? Like, are they thinking I'm trying to rob the place because I'm running? You know, like all these weird things are going through my, my mind. But the idea here is is it's not normal, right? This isn't just normal life. We're coasting, acting cool. Everything's fine. No, this is like passion, straining, stretching out with all you've got. And he says, the more that you see that Jesus has stretched out to take hold of you, the more you'll stretch out to pursue him. You will run hard after Jesus. You will strain. You will stretch This can look like a lot of different things in our daily life. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do I love Jesus? Am I stretching towards obedience to Jesus? Even when it's painful? Even when it's difficult? could be faithfully serving an unappreciative boss. I'm sure none of you have unappreciative bosses, but this can happen sometimes. Don't talk to my staff about this, but... Stretching out to obey Jesus to to do your work as unto the Lord. 
You're not doing it for that boss. You're doing it for the Lord, right? What, is it, what would it look like if we did our work as, as students, as employees, as servants of Jesus? We're straining out to please him. Could mean praying for that friend or relative that seems beyond the reach of grace, right? We have friends who we just think they'll, they'll never love God. They'll never walk with Jesus. They'll never know truth. They're just not interested. I've tried to talk to them about it before, and they're like, they, they think I'm an idiot. I, just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think about it. But I think if we see the glory of Jesus, we'll, we'll keep straining. We'll keep stretching in prayer. Oh, Jesus, will you reveal yourself to this friend? Will you show me ways I can encourage them and love them and serve them? We'll keep, we'll keep straining towards Jesus. Uh, you might be in the Valley of the Diapers right now. Um, the Valley of the Diapers is a way a friend of mine described it years ago. This is having young children. For those of you that don't have children, Having young children can be very exhausting, just so you know. It can be very tiring. But Jesus calls you to faithfulness in that, in that moment, in that time. Moment is probably unfair. In that season, right, of straining towards faithfulness to serve them in the name of Christ. Um, relationships. God calls us to difficult relationships, right? He puts hard relationships around us that are not easy, that are not comfortable, but it's a strain towards obedience, strain towards serving me by serving them is what Jesus is calling on us to do. Well, we should wrap up here. Uh, running out of time. So back to that last race of, of my junior year. Uh, I told you I'd never won first place before, right? I set that up pretty well. Never won first place. Trophy, ribbon, gold medal, anything. Actually won the race that day. I actually won the race. Um, and so as soon as I won the race, I was like, all right, that's done. I'm finished with track. I didn't go back and run track my senior year, right? <laughs> I knew I couldn't compete on varsity. I was running JV. I was like, okay, there's no way I'm ever going to make it again. Um, but I won first place. I was so happy. I'd finally made it. I'd been visualizing that gold medal that I'd never received before. This was the district track meet. Um, and then at the award ceremony, at the end of the track meet, I was awarded with my gold medal. And I got to tell you, that was one of the most anticlimactic moments of my life. The gold medal was approximately the size of my fingernail. Um, and for whatever reason, they were too cheap to put it on a ribbon. So it was like a, a gold medal, you know, with like a little loop. You could hang it on a chain or something, but there was no chain. It was in a little plastic case this big, like on a piece of foam. And it was kind of dingy. Maybe it was gold-plated. I don't know. It kind of looked like brass to me. It was the smallest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, finally, this is my day. I finally win, and it's like crummy, you know? <laughs> it was just, it, it was a huge letdown. And the funny thing is, this kind of goes back to last week's theme. There are things in our life that we pursue that we think are ultimate prizes. Sometimes we actually get them, and we realize this isn't it. This isn't it. And that can be the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father, helping us to see that that prize we've been pursuing is not the true prize. In this text, we're seeing that Jesus is the true prize. For me, I was 17, and that was a part of this whole storm of things going on in my life that God was using to show me that Jesus was the ultimate prize. Um, another athletics thing, I had finally been given a starting position on the football team going into my senior year, played in the spring game, and guess what happened? Big injury in the spring game. It's like, oh, my hopes are dashed again with that. Some friends that I knew died that same year. Which kind of helped me to understand that, that youth doesn't last forever. 
went through some family drama that kind of brought me to a place of, of a deeper loneliness than I'd ever known in my life up to that point. These were all areas of my life where the prizes that I thought were true prizes, the treasures that I'd treasured in the past, the things that I thought were ultimate were slipping through my fingers. And that is a horrible thing to go through. If you're going through that right now, I'm sorry, it's painful. But it's also this incredible opportunity to see that Jesus is the true prize. That Jesus is the one who has taken hold of you. So again, back to this picture that Paul is is getting. We run after Jesus because Jesus has taken hold of us. We love him because he first loved us. We pursue him because he first pursued us. Leaving heaven, as Philippians 2 said, giving up his comfort, his equality with God, suffering, dying for us. Jesus gave himself for you. And Paul says, because Jesus gave himself for us, we're going to run hard after Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the life you give us in Christ. We thank you that you are redeeming us, you're saving us, and you're setting us free from our past. Help us to take next steps of pursuing you. Help us to run passionately after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.